All right, all right, all right. How you guys doing tonight? Are we doing good? Come on, can you make some noise if you love Jesus in this place? I don't know about you, I'm so grateful for that last song we sang. I don't know about you, but I need a God who's faithful. I can be pretty fickle. I can be passionate some days and not passionate other days. I need a God who is faithful. I need a God. I'm re- anybody else just resting on some promises from God? Anybody needing God to be faithful in your life? Yeah, same, same. I got a few things I'm believing for tonight. Well, hey, I'm excited to be with you guys. I kind of feel like family. Uh, but before I get any further, let me just give honor where honors do. Um, I don't know about you, but I respect and love your pastor so much. Uh, I've been to a lot of young adult ministries, and this is about as good as it gets. There's something special happening here, so I hope you feel like you're a part of something that's moving, something that's growing. So come on, I know he's not here tonight, but he's watching online. Can you make some noise if you love Pastor Mark Hutchinson in the room tonight? He's a good friend. And uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Matt, and uh, I come from the great city of Lakeland, Florida. Hey, a couple Lakeland fans. Okay, okay. 863, home of the Swans, home of Publix. Anybody love Publix? And uh, I'm excited to be preaching here tonight. Also, because I'm not only joined by my better half, I'm joined by my better two-thirds. Come on, somebody. Uh, I think we got a picture of my family. There we are. This is my beautiful wife, Stephanie, and my son of five weeks, His name is Legend, and uh, we are absolutely loving being parents. If you're thinking about having kids in the place, highly recommend it. 10 out of 10, recommend. Probably should get married first, uh, but I definitely recommend having kids. We're loving it. We brought them to a lightning game, so I feel like we're kind of already pros, honestly. And uh, so yeah, he's five weeks. We're having a blast. We're not really pros, but it's a lot of fun. And uh, something else you should know about me, I'm kind of like an interactive preacher, and so I'll pause and wait for some noise. And so this is going to be way more fun if you just kind of like, like something I say, say, come on, that's good, preach it, white boy. I really don't care what you say, but just say something. I think church is meant to be enjoyed and not endured. So let's just have a little bit of fun tonight, and I promise the message will be better if you do that. Um, So yeah, with no further ado, I want to jump into a story in Scripture about a character. If you've been around church for a long time, if you've seen the movie King of Egypt, uh, you've probably heard of this guy. His name is Joseph. And before we jump in, if you don't know who Joseph is or you just need a little refresher, allow me to give you some of the context of who this guy is. Okay, so Joseph, his great-granddad is Abraham. If you grew up in kids' church, you remember the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Yeah, that guy, okay? Except he didn't have many sons. It's kind of a weird song. Um, So Abraham is 75 years old when God says, hey, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Only problem is he's 75 years old, and his wife can't have kids. And he gets to be 100 years old before he has his first son, Isaac. He has another son before that. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but Isaac is the one you need to remember because then Isaac is the one who thought he was going to have a one-way hike up a mountain, but then they met a ram in a thistle bush, if you remember that. And then Isaac goes on to have two sons. One's name's Esau, 
and the other one's name is Jacob. Jacob's the dude who like puts on the fur and pretends to be his older brother and he goes before his dad who's like kind of blind and he's like, hey, I'm Esau. He's like, your voice doesn't really sound like Esau, but I'm feeling you and you feel hairy, so I guess you're Esau. He's like, so give me my inheritance. He gives him his inheritance. He goes on the run. He starts working for his uncle for seven years because he wants to marry his cousin. Kind of weird. The Bible's interesting. So he works for seven years, marries the wrong cousin. He gets super drunk on his wedding night and then marries the ugly cousin. If the Bible says you're ugly, you're probably ugly. And so then he works another seven years to marry the pretty cousin whose name is Rachel. And then this time goes on and time goes on and he has 12 kids. And you might have guessed it, one of those kids is our person tonight, Joseph. And so here's Joseph. He's kind of like towards the end of the bloodline. He's not the oldest son. He's also not the youngest son, but he's the second to youngest son. And he's kind of an odd character. He's what the Bible calls a dreamer. We got any dreamers in here? Anybody like to think you're a dreamer? Okay, cool. A couple of you. A dreamer is like a nice way of saying somebody who thinks they're really special for not doing anything at all. <laughs> A dreamer is kind of like somebody who just wants extra credit because they have cool ideas that they've never put into action. It's like the kind of person you say, hey, what do you want to do in five years? And they're like, in five years, I want to be starting my third business and be my own boss. But meanwhile, they can't make it to their entry-level job on time. Right? Like, that's a dreamer. And I can talk about that a little bit because I I'm myself am a bit of a dreamer, okay? I can I kind of rag on myself a bit. And you don't really name your son legend if you're not a dreamer, okay? It's just a little bit of what that's like. But so here's Joseph, and he's a dreamer, and we come to his life, and he, he's been given this dream by God where he's going to have his brothers bow down to him. He doesn't really know what it means, and he's also kind of weird because he's got this rainbow coat that he likes to wear all the time in the desert, which is just kind of strange. I don't know about you. If I was in the desert, I wouldn't be wearing a coat. But anyway, so this is kind of what he's like. And then the story goes on. The bit, bit of difference between me and Joseph is my dream didn't cause any of the things to happen in my life that caused Joseph to happen. See, because Joseph's dream gets him thrown into a pit, then sold into slavery, and then lied about by his boss's wife, who kind of like sexually harassed him. And then he gets thrown into prison, and then he ultimately becomes the second in command of Egypt. My dream hasn't really done that in my life yet, so we're a little bit different in that sense of the way. But Joseph is a dreamer, and so we come to where we're going to jump into his story tonight, where he is now the second in command of Egypt, and he's reunited with his brothers and his dad. And it's not like you might think. He doesn't really take revenge on his brothers. He, he kind of actually does the exact opposite. He gets the best land in Egypt during the time of a famine to be reserved for his family. And so we're going to jump in the story right about then. His dad is about to die in Genesis chapter 48. Genesis chapter 48, we're going to look at verse 1. It says this, it says, One day, not long after this, word came to Joseph, Your father is failing rapidly. So Joseph went to visit his father, and he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. When Joseph arrived, Jacob was told, Your son Joseph has come to see you. So Jacob gathered his strength and sat up in bed. Now I'm going to claim my own—now I'm claiming as my own sons these two boys of yours, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born here in the land of Egypt before I arrived. They will be my sons, just as Reuben and Simeon are, but any children born to you in the future will be your own, and they will inherit land within the territories of their brothers Ephraim and Manasseh. Can we skip down a little bit? 
Then it says this, then it says, Jacob looked over at the two boys. He said, are these your sons? He asked, yes, Joseph told him. These are the sons God has given me here in Egypt. And Jacob said, bring them closer to me so I can bless them. Jacob, who was half blind because of his age, could hardly see. So Joseph brought the boys close to him and Jacob kissed and embraced them. Then Jacob said to Joseph, I never thought I would see your face again, but now God has let me see your children too. Joseph moved the boys who were at their grandfather's knees and bowed with his face to the ground. Then he positioned the boys in front of Jacob with his right hand. He directed towards Ephraim, toward Jacob's left hand. With his left hand, he put Manasseh at Jacob's right hand. But Jacob crossed his arms as he reached out to lay his hands on the boys' heads. He put his right hand on the head of Ephraim, though he was the younger boy, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, though he was the firstborn. We can jump down. We're going to read a little bit more. I know it makes no sense. Don't worry. We're going to make a lot of sense of this confusing passage. Can we jump down to the last bit of this passage? It says, Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked the God who has been my Every day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they persevere in the names of Abraham and Isaac, and may their descendants multiply greatly throughout the earth. But Joseph was upset. This is what you need to focus on. Joseph was upset when he saw that his father placed his right hand on Ephraim's head. So Joseph lifted it and tried to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. No, my father, he said, this is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head, but his father refused. I know, my son, I know, he replied. Manasseh will also be great, but his younger brother will become even greater, and his descendants will become a multitude of nations. That was a mouthful and made almost no sense. And that's in purpose. I don't know if you've ever been reading the Bible or trying to read the Bible, trying to do devotions, and you kind of walk away from your time reading the Bible, and you go, I don't know what I just read. I don't see how that applies to my life. I don't really even understand it. It went in one ear and out the other. And so I want to take a story that kind of comes like that. Like, what is all this about? His hands are crossed. Why is Joseph getting mad? This is super weird. And I want to come and make a little bit of sense of it tonight. And if you're taking notes, you can write down the title of this talk. It's this, is was that a mistake? Was that a mistake? Let's pray. And we're going to jump into the preaching of God's word. Jesus, thank you so much for your presence in the room. Thank you so much for your word. Lord, pray that you would come and speak to us tonight, that not one of us would leave this place the same way we came, but we'd leave totally changed from an encounter with you. Pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Have you ever been confused? You ever been confused in life? Like you're just in a situation where it's like, this makes absolutely no sense. I've been here quite a lot lately with my son. He's 38 days old, and of these 38 days, he has never once gone without eating. He always eats as soon as he wants to eat. As soon as he starts crying, he gets fed. Yet, if you were to hear him crying when he gets hungry, you would think he's like a kid left on the side of the road who's never been fed in his entire life. And I'm like, it's been 38 days of you being fed every single time. I think you should get this by now. But he still cries the same way as if it's never happened before, as if we've been so neglectful and it's really, really confusing. It doesn't really make much sense. Another thing that doesn't make much sense and was confusing was the COVID regulations. I don't know about you. Anybody else grateful to live in the great state of Florida where things are a bit more normal now? Things make a bit more sense now. But just a couple months back, COVID regulations made absolutely no sense, especially at my gym. For some reason, help me understand this logic. For some reason, when you walked into the gym, you had to be wearing a mask 
And when you walked out of the gym, you had to be wearing a mask through the electric automatic doors that you don't actually touch and the thing that you scan your ID on that you don't actually touch. But then when you work out with the weights you actually touch and the treadmill that you're sweating on and the bench press that's never been wiped down after anybody, COVID doesn't exist. When you're in the locker room and kind of really close to people and sweating and you see that naked old guy sitting on the bench, sorry girls, you've never seen that guys you have. It's like COVID doesn't exist, but when I walk through the doors, it does. Like, don't you even dare walk through these doors without a mask or you're losing your gym membership. But if we see you on the way, hey, ah, have at it. COVID doesn't exist there. My wife and I, we flew up to Pennsylvania on an airplane right when COVID started and it was hilarious. We're in the airport, and it's all about social distancing when you're in the airport, when you're checking your luggage and everything. And so I thought when we get on the plane, we're going to have all this room. I'm like, this is nice. We got economy, but I'm going to have so much elbow room. But we get on the plane, and we're all smushed like this. And then they hand out food still, but they just hand it out in a plastic bag. And you can take off your mask and eat the food, even though the food's been packaged in a plastic bag, but you're right next to somebody else you don't even know who's spilling crumbs all over the place. But because it's in a plastic bag, then it's okay, right? COVID regulations have made no sense. And so jo Joseph finds himself in a place in life where he's in a situation that we just read that makes no sense. Let me explain it in nowadays terms a little bit better than I just read it, okay? Joseph comes, his dad's like, hey, I'm about to die. I want to see you and your kids. And so Joseph comes and he meets his dad with his kids. And his dad goes, hey, first things first, let's get the adoption papers out. I'm adopting your sons. This is really weird. I don't know, like if I went to see my dad and my dad goes, hey, nice to meet you and your sons. I haven't seen you guys in a long time, but first things first, I'm adopting your son. It's really weird. It makes no sense. Because now your sons just became your brothers. It's, it's just bizarre. And then to make things even more bizarre is when Joseph goes to put his sons before his dad to give him the blessing, his dad crosses his arms. And Joseph's like, hey, wh what are you doing? Don't you know how tradition works? Because the oldest kid is supposed to get the bigger blessing than the younger kid. And I don't know if you realize it because you're kind of like half blind. So let me straighten out your hands a little bit because this one's older and this one's younger. And Jacob goes, no, 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 no. I did it on purpose. It wasn't a mistake. I know you think it's a mistake. It wasn't a mistake. I did this on purpose. And it's like fascinating. What does that mean? Why did he cross his arms? Why did he give the younger son the blessing? And another question it raises before we can even get to those is, why did Joseph get so mad? Because as I remember the story, Joseph wasn't the older brother, but yet he was his dad's favorite. He gets the coat. He gets the special things. He gets the inheritance. So why is Joseph so mad about something? How could he so quickly have forgotten what it was like for him? Anybody, you ever forgotten something in life? I don't know about you. I'm a super forgetful person. I'm working on it. I'm trying to be better. It's just, I'm forgetful, okay? This is a real conversation I had in the gym last week. I meet a guy, and uh, I'm like, hey, what's up? What's your name? And he's like, hey, I'm Todd. And I'm like, oh, so cool, man. How long have you been coming to the gym for? And he's like, I've been coming to the gym. And then immediately, if you could see like the mental dialogue in my head, it's like, boop, 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 boop. I have this thought bubble what was his name? 
Was it Travis? No. Was it Tony? I'm getting close. It's not Tony. I think it's Tom. I don't know. And then I see he stopped talking, so I got to jump back into the conversation. So I was like, back into the conversation. And I'm like, oh, that's so awesome, man. What are you working out today? What is this guy's name? It's Todd. No, it's Tony. No, it's Travis. Travis, that's what it was. So nice to meet you, Travis. My name's Todd. Oh, my bad. I'm super forgetful. Just a couple days ago, we're, we're getting my son into daycare. And uh, I needed to print these really important documents for our daycare. My wife sends them to me at work. And she's like, hey, please make sure you print these documents. She knows how forgetful I am. And I'm like, I got this. I can, I can print documents, okay? I'm not that incompetent that I'll forget to print the documents. So I stop what I'm doing. I print the documents. I'm feeling great about myself, okay? I come home from work. I pull in the driveway, so confident. I walk in the door, and my wife's like, hey, did you print the documents? I'm like, I did. <laughs> I'm like husband of the year. I'm feeling like husband of the year because I remember to print the documents. And then she says, okay, can I see them? And then I'm like, ah, <laughs> I was so excited that I didn't forget to print the documents that I forgot to put them in my bag when I left the office. I'm just super forgetful. And so here we find Joseph in his life, and it's so interesting because he's totally forgotten who he was in the story. I don't know about you, but have you ever forgotten about the grace that God's given you? <laughs> It's super easy to receive God's grace. But then as soon as you see somebody you don't like getting blessed, it's like, what in the world? God, do you know their character? Do you know what they were doing last Friday night? Like, what is going on here? And I feel like God would look back at us and go, <laughs> you forgot. You forgot the grace I gave you. you. You forgot where you were at. You forgot where you used to be and where you're at now. Because it's so much easier to receive grace than to give grace. Jesus says it this way. He says that he who loves little is forgiven little. But the person who loves much has been forgiven much. It's not that people need more forgiveness or less forgiveness than other people. It's that we think we do. It's that we think we need less forgiveness than that person. And so Joseph finds himself in this place in his life where he's forgotten who he was in the story. He's forgotten where he came from. He's forgotten that he was not the oldest son. So why in the world is he getting so upset? And so I went back to Genesis 41, and I think I got a little bit more clarity around why it was. It says, During this time, before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. And then Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. Notice what he said about Manasseh. I named him Manasseh because God made me forget all my troubles and all of my father's family. Wait a minute. When we look through Joseph's life, he went through so many troubles. And every time he was in trouble, there's this little phrase, and it says, and the Lord was with Joseph. He was thrown into a pit, and the Lord was with Joseph. He was sold into slavery, and the Lord was with Joseph. Potiphar's wife lied about him, and the Lord was with Joseph. He was thrown into prison, and the Lord was with Joseph. If he forgets all his troubles, he's going to also forget the God who was with him in the troubles. 
He's going to also forget what he went through. He's going to also forget who was with him, and he's going to mistake his success as his own. Because if you forget all your troubles, you forget that you needed a Savior at all. And then the second half of the verse is even scarier because then he says, I forgot my entire father's family. Wasn't the dream about his family? The dream wasn't you're going to be second in command of Egypt in this big flashy thing. It's you're going to actually help your family. Your family's going to come to you and they're going to be like these grain bundles and they're bowing down to you because you are actually going to give them food in a time of famine. If you forget your family, you forget the dream God gives you. If you forget your family, you forget the purpose. (laughs) See, we got to be really, really careful that we don't forget the wrong things. We got to be really, really careful. You can forget the pain that you went through, but don't forget the purpose of why you went through the pain. You can forget the troubles that you went through, but don't forget the testimony and the God who is with you in the midst of those troubles. You can forget your family and the betrayal, but don't forget the purpose, so don't forget your family. It's easy to attach the betrayal to the family, but the family was what the purpose was about all along. And so we come to this place where we got to be really, really careful about what we choose to forget. Because you see, I think God is way more interested in our healing than our forgetfulness. It's way easier to forget than it is to go through healing sometimes. Right? Because healing makes me actually come face to face with grips that when I was betrayed, when I was lied about, when I was cheated, when I was thrown in jail, God was actually with me in all those situations. That's tough to come to grips with. That's something I got to wrestle through. And so I'd just much rather forget my troubles and just pretend like those things never actually happened. When God actually says, no, I, I want to heal you. I, I want to restore you. I, I want you to actually go through some things with me. I love the way the psalmist says it. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't fear evil because I know you're with me. He doesn't deny or forget the fact that he's going through the valley of the shadow of death. He just acknowledges the fact that God is with him in that. See, we gotta, we gotta be really careful we don't get too much into this whole forgetfulness thing. Because see, maybe, just maybe the reason that Jacob crossed his hands and blessed Ephraim more than Manasseh was to show that God actually cares more about Ephraim. He cares more about fruitfulness than he cares about Manasseh, than he cares about forgetfulness. Maybe God is after fruitfulness and not forgetfulness. Because weird Christianity is forgetfulness. You ever met a weird Christian? Weird Christian is kind of like the person you wish you didn't ask how you're doing. You're like, hey, how's it going? They're like, blessed and highly favored of God. Praise God. They got like this neck twitch and this weird like eye twitch going on. It's like the person there like, (coughs) you're like, oh, I'm so sorry you're sick. They're like, I rebuke that. I'm not sick. I'm healed in Jesus' name. It's like, but, but you're sick. You're coughing. Like, you're the reason that the, the curve didn't flatten. Like, you were like, I don't have COVID. <clears throat> Weird Christianity is all about denying. It's all about forgetting. It's all about saying something's not happening when it actually is. That, that's not what Christianity is all about at all. No, real Christianity goes, no, I, I am anxious. I am anxious, but God, you said that you give a peace that passes understanding. I don't feel it yet, 
But while I'm waiting for the miracle, I might as well just worship and stay near you because I believe you are who you say you are. It's not about forgetting that I'm anxious. It's about remembering you give peace. See, real Christianity isn't saying, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. It's saying, I am sick, but I remember that you say you're a healer, and although I might not be healed yet, I'm going to wait here and worship because you are the God who heals, and I believe that. It's not choosing to forget something. It's just choosing to remember something greater. Right? Because, see, here's the thing. We can get really caught up in this whole thing about forgetting because it's all about forgetfulness, forgetfulness. God is really into forgetfulness. It's really easy to think that because it's like God forgets my sins, right? So, obviously, I should just forget the pain and all this kind of thing. But God only forgets your sins because he remembers the cross. God doesn't just see you as sin-free or as never sin. God sees you as the righteousness of God in Christ. He doesn't just see you as guilt-free. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 14, he sees you as made perfect. That is a crazy word to use, but that's what the author intentionally used. See, God doesn't just see you as something he forgets your sins. He actually makes you a new creation. And the very place that if God was anything like us, he would choose to forget the place where humanity destroyed its creator, the place where his friends betrayed him, the place where he was totally humiliated as humiliated as possibly you can be on a cross, the place where he would probably choose to forget if he chose to forget anything is the place that he chooses to remember for yours and my sake. It's not about forgetting, it's about remembering the right thing. And so, so maybe God's more into fruitfulness than he is to forgetfulness. So then the question comes, how do, how, do, how do I live fruitful? It's not by trying really hard. It's not by faking it till you make it. It's not by like grinding it out and just working it out in your own strength. That's not how you live fruitful. See, Jesus tells us how to live fruitful. He says, just remain in me. Remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Remain in me and you'll bear much fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, things we all want more of. He says, if you remain in me, then you will bear much fruit. So how do we, how do we remain? Well, I'm not really like, I don't know everything about plants, but I don't think branches play a very active role in the fruit-bearing process. They kind of just are, Right? The branches just kind of, they just kind of remain. And so this gets really practical. Because if you want more peace in your life, you know how you do that? You get in your car tonight, you go on a long drive, you put some worship music on, and you go, God, I'm really anxious. But you say you give peace, so will you give me peace? I'm just, just going to remain. I'm just going to stay close to you. You know how this gets really practical? It's going, God... I feel guilty. I feel condemned. I feel like I'm not even safe. I don't even know like what's going on, but your word says that I'm not condemned. So will you give me a revelation of your grace? What remaining looks like, it just looks like opening your Bible and going, God, will you speak to me today? It looks like just journaling with God, writing to God about anything and everything. That's how you remain. I just wonder if there's anybody in the room tonight who can have faith to believe that bearing fruit isn't about anything you do. It's just about remaining close to God. And when you remain close to him, he's going to produce fruit in your life. So it's not about forgetfulness. It's more about fruitfulness. I'm going to ask the team to come up here. I'm going to begin to close with a couple more thoughts.
Because see, we get to the end of Joseph's life and he's not forgetting anymore about what he went through. He's just remembering a different story. He's remembering a different narrative. Check this out. Genesis chapter 50 says, but Joseph replied, this is his brothers. His brothers come and his brothers are super afraid that now that their dad has died, he's going to take revenge on them. He's going to destroy them. He's going to make them slaves, whatever. They're just terrified. And this is what Joseph says to his brothers. He says, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. You see how he's remembering the story different? He's not forgetting the troubles he went through. He says, hey, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. He meant it for me to actually have a purpose in the midst of everything I was going through. I'm not going to forget what I went through. I'm just going to remember it differently. See, I don't know if I don't know why Jacob crossed his arms, to be honest. I don't know what was going through his head. I don't know if it was like, hey, I was the younger brother once and I got the bigger blessing, so I'll just do the same thing. Like, I have compassion towards you. I don't know if that was it. I don't know if it was like, in the kingdom, the last become first and the first become last. So I don't know if it was like, God sees your heart more than he sees tradition. And, and I don't even know if it's God cares more about fruitfulness than forgetfulness seems like a pretty compelling argument but maybe that's not even what it was about but here's what I can guarantee you it is about is showing you that God what looks like a mistake to you is not a mistake to God this is my one point only point tonight if you don't get anything else out of what I'm saying you can rest assured exchange that what looks like a mistake to people what looks like a mistake to you is not a mistake to God isn't this what the whole Bible is about isn't this what the whole story is about Right? The beginning of the Bible, God comes up to this guy named Adam, and he says, hey, there's all these trees, there's all these fruit, there's this whole garden I'm going to put you in, and you can eat from any of the fruit on the garden except for the tree in the middle. I know it looks really nice, I know it's dead in the middle, and it sounds like I'm making a mistake, but that's the only tree you can't eat from. And then comes this serpent, and he goes, did God really say you can't eat from that tree? Did you really say you were going to die, or did you forget? Then we come to another guy. His name is Noah. And God says, hey, Noah, it's going to rain. I know you've never seen rain before, but it's going to rain. There's going to be water coming. I need you to build a boat. I know you don't even know what a boat is, and it's going to take you 100 years, and people are going to make fun of you. And there's going to be a lot of times in your life where you think you're making a mistake, but I promise you it might look like a mistake, but it's not a mistake. And then we get to this guy named Abraham. And Abraham's like, God's like, hey, you're going to have a son. And he's like, I'm 75 years old. It doesn't make much sense. And he's like, I know you're going to have a son. And he's like, oh, like 20 years go by. And he goes, I still don't have a son yet. Maybe what God meant was I should have a kid with my wife's servant. And then God's like, I know, I know it looks like a mistake. It's, it's not a mistake. And then we get to Joseph. And God's like, hey, I know I've given you this dream. And I know that you, 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 you're in jail right now and you were sold into slavery and you were lied about and you were cheated and you were betrayed and all these things. And I know it looks like I made a mistake. I know it looks like it's not going to work out, but you're so close. I know it looks like a mistake, but it's not a mistake. 
And then we get to this person named Moses, and God says, hey, I know you got a speech impediment, but you're actually the person I'm going to call to speak to Pharaoh to tell, let my people go. And I know it looks like the Red Sea, you're not going to go through it, but just keep on stepping because the Red Sea, the waters are going to say, I know it looks like a mistake, but it's not a mistake. Then we get to the prophets, and there's this guy named Elisha, and he comes up to a widow who only has a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. He says, I know you think you're going to make your last meal and die, but can I tell you, it might look like a mistake that I'm here, but God's me here to tell you it's not going to run out, but actually you're going to make me a meal and then you're going to have meals to spare because it might look like a mistake, but it's not a mistake. And then we get to the New Testament and there's this guy named Jesus who shows up on the scene and Jesus goes, hey, I know you've been fishing all night. I know you've thrown your, your nets a thousand times, but just throw them one more time. I know it looks like a mistake, but it's not a mistake. And then he comes to the 5,000 people and he's like, I know, I know that's like only a little boy's lunch, but just start giving it out. Just, just start giving it out. I know, I know it looks like a mistake, but it's not a mistake. And then he says, hey, Peter, I, I, know, I know you think I came to free you guys from Roman captivity. I know, I know you th thought I was going to like come defeat the Romans and then sit on a throne in Jerusalem, but... Peter, I'm using harsh words right now, like, get behind me, Satan. Because you don't understand that sometimes what looks like a cross is actually a throne. And what looks like thorns is actually a crown. And I know it might look like a mistake that I'm going to a cross to die. You thought it was going to go differently. You thought that being a king of the Jews looked different than it. You, you thought all these things. And no, it might look like a mistake but it's not a mistake. See, I don't know if people have told you that you're a mistake. I don't know if you feel like you are. I don't know if you're looking at the situations in your life and the circumstances in your life and you're like, all the promises that God made me don't seem to be lining up with what I'm living in right now. Maybe I made a mistake with this whole Jesus thing. Can I remind you? You're not alone. Joseph was betrayed. Noah was laughed at. Abraham went 25 years before he saw God's promise coming true in his life. We serve the God who uses things that look like mistakes to make things that aren't mistakes. We serve the God who had to die before he could raise again. It looked like a mistake, but it's not a mistake. Everybody can close their eyes and bow their heads. I got two questions for you tonight. The first question is this. If we were to sit down one-on-one -on -one after this and have some food and I was to say, hey, is Jesus the Lord of your life? And you were to either say no or he was a long time ago, but I've since walked away. I want to give you opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life tonight. Everything I've said tonight is only applicable if Jesus is in relationship with you. You can't look at situations in your life and just say it's not a mistake. Like, if you don't have faith in a God who gives grace. And so if that's you, I'm just gonna ask you to lift your hand on the count of three. I wanna know who I'm praying for. One, two, three. You can lift your hands across the room. That's awesome, that's awesome, that's awesome. Anybody else? Who is Jesus? He is Lord. Best decision you ever make. Awesome, you can put your hands down. Second question I have for you tonight is this, is you're just having a hard time trusting God. You're just having a hard time trusting, you're, you're like, things in my life, look like a mistake. 
I've tried believing God for stuff. I've tried resting in his promises. I've tried all the things you're saying. I, 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 just, I just don't see it. And you're, you're really close to throwing in the towel. And tonight you just want to say, hey, I want to make a fresh decision. I'm just going to remain close to God. I don't understand it. I don't make sense of it all, but I'm just going to choose to remain. If that's you, you can lift your hands. Yeah, same, same. Awesome, awesome. Well, hey, whether or not you raised your hand for the first question, we're all sinners in this place. So you can repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, today I choose to make you the Lord of my life for the rest of my life. I believe you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. Come and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Save me now. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, can we stand up on our feet? We're going to go back into this promises song. And I want to go back in with a different perspective than maybe you came in here with tonight. Because, you know, worship gets really powerful when we remember what God has done. Worship gets really powerful when we remember where we came from. I don't know about you, but I can't afford to forget where I've come from. I can't afford to forget the dark pit that I was in that God brought me out of. I can't afford to forget all the times that God has come through when I didn't think he was going to come through, all the times I didn't know how things were going to work out, but they worked out. So come on, can we fix our minds and put our minds on what God has done and remember the times he's come through and remain in him. Come on, let's sing this out together.